everyone and welcome to the Females in Motorsport podcast. Today I have with me Ali Wieland, a very close friend as well as Racing Forces podcast producer and brand expert. Thank you so much, Ali, for joining me on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. This is our round two because unfortunately our round one did not record correctly, but that's never a problem because we always have so much to talk about. Yeah, it was a dress rehearsal. We did it on purpose, you know. It's That's fine. <laughs> yeah, we can we can we can say it like that. Exactly. Yeah, so let's talk about the USGP to begin with because that's where we were both uh, together most recently and we worked on a couple of projects there together which some of our famous and motorsport listeners already know about um, so the giveaway that we did for everybody listening in Ali was kind of the brand expert behind all of that she really helped put together all the tote bags and as well as the design of the, the flyer in there and just really helped with the exposure overall so Ali that's the first project that you and I ever collaborated on and you were with mm-hmm. me in Austin when you were giving away those tote bags what did you feel about the entire activation in general and just you know just being there interacting with the female fans and all of that good stuff you know that Sunday race day it was really exciting to get to work on a project that focused on the female fan experience on a track so that to begin with I was already so excited about that idea and then the more and more we started talking about it I know we were talking about it for months and months <laughs> beforehand um and figuring out which exact merch to put into it etc it was incredible to see it actually happen <laughs> and then to be given such a beautiful spot by Coda they gave us such a good location right at the main square there um in the main entrance of the track and to get to actually interact I'm like such a huge fan of racetracks. I've been to a lot of them. I'm really like lucky to say I've been to tons of racetracks and interacted with lots of fans. I usually go by myself to racetracks, like solely to make friends and like Mm -hmm. see what the vibes are with people who are attending the races. So to be able to do that, which I'm already in love with, and then to actually have it be more focused on women, um, and like an American track as well, such a legendary American track, was so fun to see people so excited to get their bags that they really like took time out of their day. Like they needed to plan around picking up this bag. So um, to get to interact with such an enthusiastic fan base that like we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, but doesn't always get noticed or talked to as much or focused on um, was incredible. Um, So yeah, couldn't be happier with how it turned out uh in the people we got to talk to yeah yeah absolutely I think for me I was a little bit um almost emotional at the time Mm -hmm. because obviously there was months of work that went into it and for people to be able to you know hold a purple bag with the females and motorsport logo um you you could see people carrying that bag around the racetrack if you were in the fan zone and it was just really cool to see that because we have never done that before and i Mm -hmm. think it's such a clear signal of someone who supports women in motorsport so just seeing that sea of purple bags makes you feel like yes that you have like an ally here you have people who believe in the same mission and i think that's kind of also what went behind what we're going to put in the bag so I think when we were putting it together I know you and I chatted about this a lot but some of the brands that were very very nice to give us free product to put in the bags and just donate product for us were Cedarfil we had like a little skin serum 
Um, and then Milon Dean, which is like a post-workout brand. But I think the one that I was the most excited about was obviously Mydol because mm-hmm. Mydol is a period care product and I don't think a lot of people think about that when they're putting together a racetrack, um, you know, people who work at the circuits because so many women, you know, are attending races now. If I'm entering a track on a Saturday morning, you know, I'm, you know, I have the entire day ahead of me and I'm like, shoot, I just got my period. What am I supposed to do? So that was our thinking behind putting pads in there as well as my doll in there to be like, okay, you have something, you know, if you have cramps, because I am somebody who has absolutely grown up with like period cramps. I still get them every month. So for me, I basically live on my doll every month. And the idea of putting a pad in there was also just... Of course, it's more of a um, convenience thing, but also just letting people know that we are thinking about you, like like what you said, because I don't think circuits and Formula One are marketing to women in that way. Yeah, definitely not. Um, and it's actually funny you mentioned about seeing people around the track uh, with their bags, um, because that's actually how I found the stand, <laughs> because I wasn't exactly sure where it was at first, and then... Um, I saw someone with the bag and was like, where did you get that? So it functioned really well. It completely fulfilled the brief. Um, but yes, I agree. I think I've um, like going to so many tracks, you just literally at no track. Is there anywhere to get any period products? As far as I'm aware, I've never seen that anywhere. Um, and the the women's bathroom situation <laughs> at most tracks mm. is just is sad. I mean, Monza, it's literally a hole in the ground and you squat um I find that so insane because you know what women pee very differently than men we we you know yeah you we're not just standing you know yeah like that we need more space and there is a little bit more of like a comfort level that you need as a woman to be able to pee safely <laughs> and I can't believe it's literally just a hole in the ground like that's pretty much the worst scenario that I could expect for myself when I'm going to attend a race. Yeah, absolutely. It was quite the experience. Um, but yeah, usually there's just not, there's not, I guess women's comfort is not really considered in, or women's experience of a track is not really considered. Um, yep. And so it felt very exciting to get to do that. And then also to talk to people who came over who didn't know who female Motorsport was or why we were there or what we were doing and we got to actually tell them about the organization explain to them about the purpose of the bags and what we were trying to do and to just yeah. see people really excited to come up and engage with us was extra gratifying because it wasn't just sort of people being like hi here's the thing I wanted for free goodbye like it was really meaningful engagement um yeah Yeah, I agree. I think it was really incredible because while we had a lot of people come up who, you know, were either following us on social media already or just heard of us, I think there were a lot of people who just did not know anything about us. And I was actually very happy to see so many men engaging with us as well. I always have this feeling sometimes, and I don't know if it's like accurate or not, but it's just something you feel as a woman in the industry that are you alienating men if you're not marketing to them and it's so silly because clearly series and tracks sometimes don't feel that way but anywho but I've definitely felt that way sometimes to be like I hope I'm not alienating a huge fan base as well so I was really really pleased to see so many men come up to us at the booth ask us more about females in motorsport um 
they were just happy to take like a bunch of my dolls for their moms <laughs> or their girlfriends yeah. and for it was daughters. really nice to see them yeah for their daughters there were a lot of so dads nice. that were so it was, sweet <laughs> it was amazing it was actually really really nice to see that so i agree with you i think it was it was very it was a very emotional time and mm-hmm. i will say what did surprise me was the number of people who confused us with f1 academy Mhm yes that I was not expecting because we also did the giveaway on Sunday so it was on race day so F1 Academy already had a few sessions on track already so i just assumed that people would already already know a lot about F1 Academy but i think it's one of those things that you know if you're in it like i covered F1 Academy over the weekend so i obviously knew everything about it but when you really step out is when you realize how much of a bubble so many of these things end up being unfortunately and then mm-hmm. when you would tell people like oh F1 Academy is you know a series by F1 it's a junior development series meant for women you could see their eyes light up mm-hmm. they were also excited to hear about that i don't think everybody knew so much about it but you could see how excited they were to be like oh we had no idea that this is what it is and it's so fun to see that you guys are covering them so it mm-hmm. all really came it came together in the end but yeah i found that pretty interesting that people were confused about it Yeah, and to kind of like piggyback off that point as well, like um there's always this conversation around women's sports that people don't want to watch them. Mm. Which I think this past year especially like the Women's World Cup, like the WNBA, like there's so many that like disprove right. that. Um and so it was really exciting as well to get to see people react to actually seeing F1 Academy races. Like I'm used to seeing F2 and F3 and the Porsche Super Cup like mm. I'm used to seeing these like support and like parallel series race during a race week and you usually have to go and pinpoint oh where's Sofia Flores in F- yeah. F3 like there she is um but getting to actually see the F1 Academy uh competitors being valued on the same level as those feeder series was very gratifying and people loved it. Of course they did. It's racing. Racing is good. Like it doesn't matter who 100%. is doing. No, I completely agree. To your earlier point, yes, 100%. This year I feel like we've seen so much progress and growth in the media exposure for women in motorsport, women in sport mm-hmm. in general. I mean, Coco Goff's final drew in way more viewers than Djokovic's in mm-hmm. at the US Open this year. And I'm talking like millions. And I feel yeah. like even with F1 Academy there has been a lot of growth in terms of exposure. I mean of course we all started this year being a little bit skeptical about the series because it was not being broadcast and obviously there is still no clarity about why that was to me i think it's probably just like a you know a broadcast deal or something like that like who knows what goes on inside those rooms you know but <laughs> i think with austin there was just so much opportunity for so many drivers to be seen a at the track but also on tv finally yeah. and all the drivers were so excited about it and i think mm-hmm. that is what really helped me at least feel like Yes, F1 Academy is absolutely doing everything it can to help women get there. Yeah, and to showcase these women as viable, like unfortunately sports is a money's game and to showcase these women as viable like spokes people for brands and things like that. I mean, I know Bianca Bustamante has already gotten lots of interest from brands, but there's so many 
like opportunities for sponsorship and opportunities to appeal to the female fan base that's going to have different interests yeah. from a sponsorship perspective than a lot of the like broy tech like bitcoin like yes. whatever cryptocurrency b2b finance yada yada sort of stuff that um that a lot of formula 1 teams are sponsored by and that's never going to go away but i think this is such an interesting case study from a marketing perspective as well to demonstrate the power of a female sports star in the world of motorsport as an ambassador for branding. And we already see it in other series. Um, <coughs> sorry. <clears throat> we already see it in other series. I know um, Samantha Tan has an OPI sponsorship, for instance. We're starting to see these movements happening, but this is very, very exciting to see that is actually happening right before our eyes with the female, with the F1 Academy drivers. I completely agree. I feel like so many brands have recently come into F1 to tap into the F1 audience and, you know, it's just to build more credibility for themselves. They've always kind of leaned towards athletes, but as any other sport in the world, you always unfortunately gravitate towards male athletes. But now that we have F1 Academy, which is already getting so much exposure, I think it is a very viable channel for many brands to dip their toe almost in motorsport um, and see, you know, where it takes them. I think there are some brands like Puma Motorsport. Puma already has obviously a big sponsorship mm -hmm. with F1. They're also doing a partnership with Marta Garcia, who's going to be in Freca next year now. And also there's, you know, Elf with Catherine Legg. But I think uh, what I personally like is that many people are now recognizing that, yes, there are women who are, not only marketable, but also as marketable as men. So I think it's a really good opportunity for women's brands to be able to get into the space in a more authentic, meaningful way and engage with 40% of the fan base of Formula One. Yeah, exactly. You've been to so many races. You've been to so many racetracks and everything. How do you think circuits or tracks can actually engage the women who are attending? Well... There's a few different things. We've already discussed things like having period supplies readily available and ibuprofen or Midol. Um, But I think from just like a safety perspective as well, I um, Molly Oxner and I were talking about this the other day. Um, she was talking about times where she's been to a ton of races as well, but mostly in the US. Like, And so she was telling me about um, times where she has felt just like a little uncomfortable, especially as like a woman going to a race alone. Um, and so, but also that she's been at a race where that was happening and the staff of the racetrack were really prepared for that and like noticed that she, like she was very comfortable going up to them and saying, hi, like I'm walking by myself. Like it's a little dark out. She goes to a lot of like endurance racing that goes into the night. Um, it's a little dark out. I'm not feeling very like comfortable. Like, do you mind just like walking with me? And they like sprang into action. They already knew this was a thing that could happen. They already had a plan and they made her feel really safe and really protected. Um, and I know like in Formula One races, we've had incidents, like we've heard about incidents of like women being made to feel uncomfortable. And so I feel like there is some prep that tracks can do to train their staff and to specifically staff for that purpose. Um, to preempt that, like that's going to happen. And so just have somebody there that a woman can go up and like report something that happened or feel really safe to ask for help. 
I think would be a huge thing that doesn't necessitate like a structural change in the track or them to like build a new fancy bathroom that we can all have a toilet. I mean, it's a crazy idea Um, (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) But, um, you know, I think like a lot of the tracks, they've been like, oh, like we'll put female sizing up the shirts. (laughs) And it's like, actually, like maybe if you actually just trained your staff a little bit differently, women can have a much more pleasant experience. Um, Or if there's like, you know, if info desks could have more resources for women specifically, like if it's a pamphlet of knowing like where those safe points are, or if there's like information like that, I think that is like a quick actionable thing that a lot of tracks could do fairly easily to make women feel a lot more welcome. Um, And it varies from track to track, but I feel like those are fairly actionable. I don't know. Yeah. I think safety is a really good point, actually. In Miami, I didn't have the unfortunate experience of seeing someone get harassed right in front of my eyes, where, you know, a group of men were catcalling a woman, not in, um, I think, the same language that she spoke. So I don't think she knew what they were saying, but it was very, like, very, very obvious. And it was very uncomfortable to A, see that, and B, the fact that she actually, I think, was working there herself because she was wearing the Miami Grand Prix um, uniform. So I think she worked there herself and she had no defense. She did not even know where to go or like how to react to them. So I think training staff is really, really important. Of course, like the security and everything. I, I have not had the... Uh, I don't have the information to say if I did go up to somebody, what would happen? I hope that they would be helpful as I, I, you know, I would like to believe that. But how do we stop that from actually happening, I think, is where it gets really, really tricky. I do think there has to be some more tangible things coming from, I don't know whether it's the F, it's F1, the FIA, I don't know where it comes from. But I think there has to be some tangible action to let people know that if you do harass a woman on track, we will take action against you. Mm-hmm. I think right now there's a mentality of like, who's watching? No one knows. I can just do whatever I want. And yeah. I think unless we nip that in the bud, it's not going to change. No, absolutely not. And I think some of it has to come from F1 as an entity. I know I've seen different individual teams whose like fans have experienced it or have witnessed um, like their fans being aggressive. I know that certain teams have come out with statements against that. But at the end of the day, like it's for like you said, it's 40 percent of the fan base and more and more and more and more women and queer people and people of color are coming to races expecting to have a good time. And it is in everybody's interest (laughs) that Formula One starts speaking actively to those fans in a way that shows that they're interested in those fans having a good experience and those fans feeling safe and feeling welcome. And I think it needs to be incorporated into um, the actual publicity around races for Formula One and any any motorsport, really. and I agree, there should be like signs that say like, if you are caught harassing people, you will find this amount or you'll be banned from the racetrack or, you know, we're never going to 100% get rid of it, but there needs to be a solid yeah. effort behind it that shows that the entities that be in Formula One do not accept that behavior at all. And it feels like kind of just getting glossed over a lot of the time when it happens these days. Yeah, no, you're right. I feel like assholes will always be assholes, unfortunately. But if we, as a series 
can let them know that you know we are seeing this behavior we are not you know going to comply with it because right now i feel like it's so i don't want to say performative but that's what it feels like sometimes like you know sometimes mm-hmm. teams will say like we don't we condemn this behavior well obviously i would hope you would condemn this behavior but what next like what after that mm-hmm. like you think someone who's harassing someone on the street or like on the street or on the track actually cares about a statement that you put out no true yeah it actually i feel is worse in the sense that it makes you look like okay that's all you're going to do you don't mm-hmm. even like you know it's like what is that really doing so i feel like unless it's really some tangible action and i don't know what shape or form that would take maybe that's more security maybe it's something like you were saying like you know if you're caught doing this you'll be fined or what have you but i definitely think there needs to be something done to protect women queer people and people of color yeah absolutely i feel like also f1 doesn't always hasn't always had the reputation of being the most inclusive environment <laughs> really really i know you what a, what, a what a groundbreaking <laughs> statement i just made <laughs> But I feel like for me, the more women who join um, Formula One, whether it's as a fan, as a professional fan, as an industry expert, you know, whatever it is, I find it all the more alarming that F1 is just not doing anything about it or just doesn't know what to do with us. I feel like that's what it is. Yes. I think <laughs> I always think like look, like yes we always credit F1's popularity to drive to survive. We know that it's way more than that. It goes back I think much further with Liberty Media taking over, the the marketing changing around F1. They wanted like a younger audience because F1 knew their audience is getting older, it's shrinking and they green layer drive to survive. Now Drive to Survive, I don't think anyone expected for it to be as successful as it was in initially drawing those millions of viewers. I don't even think F1 expected that. And now I think they're just confused about, okay, we started this and it's great, but like, what do we do now? <laughs> well, it's it turns on F1's perpetual like contradiction where F1 sets itself apart from a lot of other motorsports by framing itself as the pinnacle of motorsport and Mm -hmm. sort of turning on this elitist image that they set up for themselves. It's supposed to be exclusive. It's supposed to be very expensive, very fancy luxury brands. There's a reason like Ferrari and Mercedes are Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's and McLaren. Sorry, McLaren. You're you're fancy too. Um, Like all those brands are involved. I did see a really beautiful McLaren the other day. Just Oh. Small, small side note, but anyway, <laughs> they are gorgeous. They're gorgeous cars. <laughs> we mean no disrespect, <laughs> um, but there's a you know they they set their image up to be around the fact that they are fancy, and we all love a fancy thing. But that doesn't mean that I think that then sets them up for not failure but difficulty I guess when they then try to figure out how to reach a new market because in order to reach a new market you need to kind of humble yourself and figure out Mm -hmm. like what do I not have that these people want and I think Formula One is clearly at least if we're talking about American viewers and we're talking about women they have kind of moved into America with this idea that they're going to create these really luxury experiences which is in line with their brand identity but Unfortunately, it's not really in line with the actual people 
who are watching F1 now in America, who are yep. following it, who aren't traditionally sports fans a lot of the time. We talked about this on Engine TV. So it's, you know, people who like reality TV. It's people who like, um, I don't know, soap operas. <laughs> it is a soap yeah. opera. And I think when F1 at its most successful, and the thing that Drive to Survive did, is it held F1, F1 up as this very fancy thing. But it also allowed space for F1 to kind of make fun of itself and showcase the funny characters in F1 mm -hmm. and showcase kind of the absurdity of <laughs> some of the things that happen in F1. And I think when they lean into that or when they aren't afraid to engage that part of their identity, that's when people get the most excited because F1 is a collection of really compelling stories and really compelling yes. characters. And I think they need to figure out how to reconcile that with their fanciful image but it's about meaningfully figuring out what's important to those fans and I think at least in America our sports are silly and fun that is how mm -hmm. we do things here um and I know they make fun of it <laughs> they don't like the walkouts I get it but I'm obsessed with them and I'm so mad that people don't like them <laughs> I know I really don't like those either <laughs> <laughs> oh it's fine it's fine I agree to disagree But, um, you know, if you're going to have American races, like embrace American sports culture and American motorsport culture comes from an extremely different place than Formula One. That is the dichotomy that they have to figure out and Drive to Survive brought F1 to the masses. And that's the other thing. We've spent a lot of time talking about on-track experiences, which are important and, and matter a lot, but only 1% of Formula One fans will ever actually see a Formula mm -hmm. One race. So... Obviously, improving those on-track conditions demonstrates to the female fan base that Formula One is like does care about them and is considering their experience, and that has value beyond the track itself to yeah. the fan base. But more work needs to be done from the media perspective to actually reach those audiences. And I actually think it'll be more on a team-by-team -team basis that F1 will kind of just be the supporter of, but it needs to happen to some extent and to some degree on every level of this pyramid, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I actually do think that F1 for them to figure out the dichotomy is not as hard as it's made out to be. I mean, that's where sponsors mm -hmm. come in. That's why, you know, you have so many brand partners who can help you reach different audiences and all of that. And what I find really confusing is that why F1 is not tapping into content creators. Content creators are essentially free marketing your series. And I find it very, very interesting to see how F1 is not able to tap into micro creators i think formula e is actually doing this very mm -hmm. very well and i think that can be chalked up to um maybe it being a newer series and they're more uh flexible and they're more interested to pursue new ideas i think where f1 also loses the battle is that it's such a legacy age-old um series that they find it there's an inertia that sets in that they are not able to be so agile as formula e or like a newer series for example but i see so many micro creators on tiktok my tiktok is all f1 for yeah, obvious reasons it's literally all f1 and i just find it a really big missed opportunity on the, on behalf of formula one that they're not inviting these creators into the fold yeah and actually it's funny you mentioned that because this is more evidence that motorsport 
different motorsport platforms need to talk to each other because a platform that I personally was surprised to learn this about, which is my own baggage and prejudice, but I NASCAR actually is doing a lot compared, mm-hmm. especially to F1, um, to engage new fans. And I think it's probably from a place that they used to be really, really popular and have experienced a bit of a decline. And I think they're trying to actively market themselves a little bit more, um, whereas F1's in a different position. Um, but they have like really great, um, they make full studios for content creators. They're really great mm-hmm. about inviting um, content creators and women like <clears throat> and like um, getting the fan community involved in, through content creators um, and trying to make their sport accessible. And they do, they have like some initiatives going on to increase like women and people of color in their workforce as well. Like there's, it's really interesting as a case study um, that it feels like I just see things that NASCAR is doing in that front. And I just go like, I wish that they would just talk to each other and like, get somebody in there. My dream is to have somebody from F1, FE, IndyCar on the podcast from the marketing teams. That's yeah. my dream. <laughs> I think you can do it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I would love to know that. And if anyone's listening, please email me and let me know if you want to be on. But I really want to have a bunch of micro content creators on the show as well. Because I feel like micro creators bring in such a fresh perspective because there's still unfortunately or fortunately on a little bit on the outside and you still have a more um of a less skewed um view of the industry i feel like honestly for me the more i do the podcast the more i work with females in motorsport the more i work with f1 i'm starting to feel like i'm in a bubble and i i feel like i'm losing connection with outside I want to know from you, from a fan experience perspective, because I know now you also have a podcast that's focused on the fan experience. Do you think that we're seeing like a big change happening in fan culture in general? And do you think it's like here to stay or is it going to be, you know, a flashing thing? Do you mean like fan culture of like Formula One as Mm -hmm. in like a shift to more women? Yes. I think we talk about this on Engine TV's Espresso as well, but I think there is definitely going to be a plateau of new fans. And I think people are fretting a lot about that. Like Drive to Survive has pretty much served its purpose, I think, at this stage. And it's not really compelling new people to get involved. Um, So I do think there will be a leveling out. But I do think that the the makeup of the F1 fan community and the motorsport fan community kind of by extension is irrevocably changed. Ideally, it will be irrevocably changed. And it's not just about, I know that um, everybody's saying like, well, Max is winning all the time and that means fans aren't going to care anymore. Think again. Like, I'm sure some people will drop off because it's not 2021 anymore and Lewis and Max aren't (laughs) taking each other out every other race. And um, like, we're not going to have another 2021 again, probably for a little while. Um, But... I think it was less about that season being really amazing, even though it was, um, depending on who you ask. Um, but I think it's more about the fact that something that was so closely gatekept for so long was suddenly the doors got flung open. And um, so I think as far as an interest perspective, I think a lot of the fans are here to stay. I think there is a danger of re-alienating them over time. And it's not about the racing. It's about the the treatment of those fans. Yeah. Um, 
And so I really think that Formula One and the teams and everyone involved need to sit down and really understand how to, how to meaningfully engage. I think Aston Martin does a pretty good job of it with, um, they have that I am campaign where they really showcase their, their fan community. I think, um, McLaren does, does it well just because they sort of just are very sophisticated with talking to Americans. Also, who is the McLaren admin? Because they are doing a fantastic <laughs> job. I mean, yeah. I, I really hope admin is getting paid as much as Zach Brown at this point. Because yeah. I feel like so McLaren is winning the social media game. Well, and this is the thing, right? The McLaren admin, the McLaren social media and their marketing in general is very accessible. It's very, mm-hmm. like, it's not, I'm not going to call it silly, but it is very, like, lighthearted, humorous, yeah. accessibly toned. And that, what I think the teams need to learn is that McLaren has that when it comes to their team's fans and making sure that McLaren is all, even if they're not doing great. I mean, they're doing better now. But at the beginning of the year, we had we had questions and we had doubts. Um, even if they're not doing great on track, like McLaren fans are here because they love the team and they love the people involved. Lando's very marketable. Oscar's Oscar and I love him. <laughs> like He's very silly. He's becoming more and more himself. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that McLaren is still a luxury car brand that mm-hmm. ha- is having their profile increase by being on this stage of engineering and racing at the level that they are. And I think the sooner that other teams and Formula One itself wraps its mind around the fact that por qué no los dos <laughs> you can do both i think that is the the key to it that's why people like to drive to survive it wasn't because it was all these people sitting in a room taking themselves too seriously without yeah. any critiques <laughs> whatsoever you know yeah um so would you say that's kind of what you're trying to bring with radio check your new podcast about the spotlighting the different fan experiences and how fans are kind of driving their own experience at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of trying to showcase the passion. We're trying to come from a place of sort of short form, fun interviews with people that really highlights the emotion and the passion behind motorsport. But in doing so, kind of showing we're trying to highlight different voices. So obviously the first episode was about a tattoo artist who has a tattoo parlor in the Nürburgring, um, which was really interesting to hear his impressions of the motorsport fan community. And so trying to showcase the voices that aren't being showcased within that world. Um, and that doesn't always mean interviewing. Um, it means interviewing people both within and without the actual space of motorsport. Um, and seeing why people really love it. And hopefully that will help show the world the value that that fan base holds and how maybe they are to be reached, <laughs> how what is important to them and how Formula One and other motorsports platforms can actually meaningfully engage with them is the goal overall with that podcast. So. All right, but before we wrap, we're going to do my fun, favorite rapid fire section. Very excited about this. <laughs> And I know because you've been to so many racetracks, I want to ask you, number oh. one, what is your favorite racetrack? Ooh, okay. There's a different, I know it's supposed to be quick and I'm sorry, I'm ruining it, <laughs> but um, there's a, there, it depends on what you, what your criteria are. Um, but I had a, an inkling that this question would come up, so I did think about it. Um, and so I think as far as the day of and the experience of being at the track, Monaco was very, very cool for a few different reasons because I had been to Monaco when it wasn't race weekend. So to see how the track was built up on what I knew it looked like before was incredible. The history of Monaco 
and racing is incredible. It was actually really interesting racing because it rained. So that was exciting. And I was able to see the pit lane and the pit lane entrance and um, also the exit from the paddock. I, it was, I got to like watch them all waddle on out onto the pit lane. And then I got to see all the pit lane strategies, which was incredible. So sorry, that's a long answer, but it was, it was very, very cool. But um, yeah, lots of different tracks. All tracks are matter and are valuable. I love that. I love, I love Monaco. I would love to do that sometime. All right. Now that you've been to so many races, another question around that, what would you say is your number one race essential? Well, I'm very pale. And so sunscreen is definitely the most important thing for me personally. And um, shout out to Spanish sunscreen. I like bought some bottle of like whatever, whatever sunscreen from some spa like store. It's in Barcelona for the race. And I still have it to this day. I poured it into like a little travel thingy and it's incredible. So a really good sunscreen that you know works for your skin and that you're happy with, whatever, has the right Mm -hmm. SPF, that's definitely at the top. Close second would be a snacky snack, like some form of like a protein Mm. bar. Definitely bring, most tracks will allow that. I think even the US ones that are more like nitpicky about stuff like that, um, definitely bring a protein bar because... Well, I'm a vegetarian, so sometimes it's hard for me to find options at tracks. Although, surprisingly, there is usually something, which I was kind of surprised by. But also, tracks are just a lot of walking, and you don't always want to go walk ages and wait in a line. Get a snack. True. That's that's two things, but I'll, that's how I'll leave it for now. <laughs> I think they're both very good reminders for everybody. Mm-hmm. So that's a great one. And then final question is, what is your favorite part about the F1 race weekend? Ooh. I think I like Saturdays. I think I like the whole shebang of Saturdays where um, there's something really exciting happening because it's qualifying, um, but you get kind of a nice chill time of free practice, unless it's a a sprint weekend. A non-sprint weekend Saturday is my favorite because um, you do get to see some action that you're not really stressed for. I find qualifying the most stressful hour of my life every time it happens. so you can do that. There's usually some really good driver stuff going on in the fan zone somewhere. Somebody's being interviewed. They're throwing hats. They're doing whatever. Um, people are throwing things at the McLaren drivers for some reason. Always seems to happen. Uh, people are singing. <laughs> There's different songs for different drivers. So you get to have that experience. Um, and then there is qualifying at the end of the day. So that's probably the most, if you can get one day, I actually think people should go on Saturdays and then watch the race in like a cool bar or like somewhere with people on Sunday. So you can actually understand what's going on. If you only have like the money or the time for one day, do Saturday. I have to agree with that. I think quali is so much more fun to see in person than race because well, the race is obviously much longer. And if you have a GA pass, it get it can get really hot depending on where you're going and it's not always comfortable, but with quali, it's a one hour race session um i feel like there's also fewer people mm-hmm. so you're more likely to get a better spot and i agree quality to me is so much more fun personally just because i don't know i feel like i like to see the cars go at like their maximum yeah. you know yeah. really really put the pressure on and i really like to see that even though obviously race has strategy and all of that stuff which is good to see but quality i think just has its own charm which I yeah love. i find it so stressful because the kind of i'm like just to reveal something about me, like if we're going like Prost versus Senna, obviously both great drivers, 
I'm a pros girly. Like I like the drivers that like need a full race sometimes to really get that whole strategy out and maybe qualify means it's not their biggest strength. I'm like going to be much more like Carlos Sainz, Valtteri Bottas is another great example of a very strategic driver. Um, I love, I love pros. I love watching the dichotomy. And that's why I think Ferrari has such a great pairing because it's like very Senna-y and Prosty and like it's very pros versus Senna. I can't talk about Ferrari we right can't. now. I just, just can't. can't do it. <laughs> I can't get that formation lap out of my head last from last week. I, I can't know. get it out of my head. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ali, for joining me on the show. This was so fun as always. I can't wait for our next race together. Yes, I can't wait. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Fingers crossed. But um yeah. Yes, absolutely. And do you want to share your socials with everybody listening in? Of course, yeah. So you can follow Racing Forces, which is where my new Radio Check podcast is on that feed alongside Engine CVs and Espresso. We're on Instagram at Racing Forces um, and on X, I guess, at um, at Racing Forces as well. <laughs> and um, you can follow me individually on Instagram at Allie, A-L-L-I-E dot Wheeland, W-H-E-E-L-A-N-D. Amazing. Thank you so much.